Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Yannick Sinner, for the second time in the last 30 days, has defeated Carlos Alcaraz. He did it at Wimbledon this time. He's done it in the final at the Umag 250 in Croatia on the post-Wimbledon clay. And that will be the focus of uh, this week's breakdown. Sinner over Alcaraz, 6-7, 6-1, 6-1. Another huge win for Sinner. A title for Yannick, I think his, his first of 2022, right? Um, but we had been building to this. It's another huge victory for him, a rivalry that will most certainly be extraordinarily significant over the course of the uh, next decade plus. And he picks up another win over Alcaraz. Um, I'm going to start with some big picture stuff as I just uh, verify that this is his first title of 2022. Uh, Sinner, I was high on Sinner in March and April and his body just uh, didn't cooperate at all. It is his first title of the year. Uh, body just didn't cooperate. Um, that continued at Roland Garros. Uh, he was in the round of 16 and had to retire against Andre Rublev. Had issues with blisters, you can remember. Uh, over the course of the Sunshine Double, he did have a bout with COVID. COVID. So it just hadn't been going Sinner's way from a health perspective. Then you hit the grass and... He loses his first two grass court matches, comes to Wimbledon, not a lot of expectations, and then blows us all away. His win over Carlos Alcaraz in the round of 16 at Wimbledon was, in my opinion, the biggest of his career. He went up two sets to love against Novak Djokovic. Novak really hit a level that Sinner was uh, realistically not going to be able to match for the latter three sets, and, and Djokovic comes back to win the match and was never really close to losing the match. This was the first tournament for Sinner since then. And not that I really thought there was going to be scarring from that loss to Novak, but arguably we saw it with Tsitsipas. Arguably we saw it with Lorenzo Musetti last year. So it was good to see Sinner turn the page on that. More importantly, he uh, he gets the better of another great opponent in uh, or of a great opponent in Carlos Alcaraz and the concern for me with Sinner big picture had to do with his uh, lack of wins against top players since 2020 it was really lacking he went two years without a win over a, a top player so I was starting to look at the watch I was starting to kind of think when is when are we going to see Sinner win as an underdog when are we going to see Winner Sinner get some top five wins, which he hadn't had until beating Alcaraz at Wimbledon? And now he's done it at two straight events, albeit versus the same opponent, but a very important opponent. Again, 19-year-old Alcaraz, 20-year-old Sinner. This is significant. As far as my reaction goes from this result in particular, this win in Umag, um, paired with the result at Wimbledon. Like, what do we make of this? What do we make of Sinner beating Alcaraz twice in a row here? My opinion of Sinner has changed a lot more than my opinion of Alcaraz. 
Sinner had to play better at Wimbledon. It was a better, it was a higher quality match. And it was the best I've ever really seen Sinner play. And big picture between Wimbledon and this run in Umag, I'm just really impressed with Sinner's serve, which has continued to improve, which is ahead of Alcaraz's serve at the moment. I've been impressed with his physicality. I think he's moving laterally extremely well and hitting so well on the run. Open stance, forehand and backhand. But most importantly, I think what's taken a, a step up, and this was even true in February and March and April, before Sinner was really putting together results, but I just, you saw the record, it was good, his body kept failing him, I thought the level was there, I thought it was it was kind of coming around, you could kind of sense it, it's the consistency. Because in prior years, as Sinner has been coming up, you know, his power has always been evident off of both wings. But he doesn't have, especially with the the serve that lacked potency, not a lot of, you know, no real transition game, not a ton of variety. He was really relying on the linear power to create his offensive package, right? And I didn't think the offensive package was good enough to really make up for the number of mistakes that we would sometimes see from Yannick Sinner. Now, Sinner was not the most consistent player in 2020, 2021. There would be matches where, where he would spray, where he would make a lot of mistakes. And I just didn't feel like Sinner offensively was the kind of player who could afford to do that. I didn't think he was there. So... I've just been really glad to see him clean up his game, become a player who who is pretty stingy from the back of the court on a pretty consistent basis. He does not give a lot away. And I think that's always the player that Sinner was going to need to be, even though he hits big, even though he has tremendous power, uh, a great offensive skill set um, in, in a lot of ways, right, with his linear power, just not enough there to be a player who makes a lot of mistakes. And I just think he's really tightened things up. He is a very... A uh, tough and consistent player uh, from the baseline. And one other note on Sinner in general. If he keeps hitting his running forehand as well as he did in Umag and at Wimbledon. Or let me be even more specific. If he keeps hitting his running forehand as well as he did in his last two matches against Alcaraz. I'm almost ready to declare it the most dangerous on-the-run forehand since Juan Martín del Potro. Just a slight technical note, and I didn't talk about it after the Wimbledon match, which is why I'm bringing it up now, because it's such a small slice of points where he's kind of counterattacking on his running forehand. It's a small slice of the pie when you look at the entire match, so I didn't bring it up. But I want to bring it up this time because it really has been a shot that has wowed me in these last two matches. So... Look, I wanted to see big wins out of center. And that's exactly what he's given me at Wimbledon and here in Umag. He's given me big wins. I care more about the Wimbledon win. Obviously, it's Wimbledon and this is Umag. More on that in a moment. Uh, but I want to see big wins from center. I want to see top five wins from center. And, and that's what he's delivered here. So my opinion of center has gone up a lot. My opinion of Alcaraz, and I said this after Wimbledon, my opinion of Alcaraz, not very different. Not very different after these last two losses to Yannick. You got to be careful here because 
people do this thing in all of sports media, not just tennis media. They do it on social media. Talk show hosts do it all the time. They create a fake argument and they knock it down. They they pretend that people are are coming from a certain place and they argue against nobody. So I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that here. And I don't want to keep having this conversation every time Alcaraz loses. But Alcaraz is not ready to dominate the sport in 2022, in my opinion. Right now, he's not ready to dominate. He is ready to make the year-end championships, probably finish top five in the race. Just not ready to dominate yet. So that can be true. And what I'm about to say can still be true. All of the things I was saying all year since Alcaraz really stepped it up a notch um, at the start of 2022. Really, at the end of 2021, I was saying these things. He remains the most impressive prospect since Djokovic, and he's the best 19-year-old since Nadal. So can all of these things be true? He's not ready to dominate in 2022 at 19 years old. But he's the most impressive prospect since Djokovic, and he's probably the best young player since Nadal. Can all these things be true at the same time? Yes, they can. Perspective on Carlos Alcaraz. He's 19 years old. It's now August. It's August, and his only bad losses are in the first round against Sebastian Corda at Monte Carlo, where he was coming off of a grueling sunshine double, transitioning hard to clay in extraordinarily high winds. Loses to Sebastian Corda. Bad loss. Loses to Lorenzo Musetti in Hamburg in a final on Wimbledon, uh, post-Wimbledon clay. That's what we're dealing with here. Two losses all season against non-top 10 opponents, and he's 19. And he's top five in the race. If you're using the last two months, a loss against Verev at Roland Garros, a loss against Yannick Sinner in form at Wimbledon, and then two losses in finals on post-Wimbledon clay to Musetti and Sinner again. If you're using these last two months as an I told you so for Carlos Alcaraz, I'm sorry, you're grasping at straws. You're grasping at straws. Nobody is going to remember post-Wimbledon clay if Carlos makes any noise whatsoever in Canada or Cincy. It is erased. It is erased from everybody's frame of mind. So if you're using this as an I told you so, it's uh, it's it's recency bias and it's uh, it's lacking perspective. Um, again, I don't want to keep having this conversation, so I want to set something in stone here to kind of tie a bow on this before I get into the match. If we hit the end of 2023, the end of next year, and Carlos Alcaraz has not been to a major final, I will say that I expected, I will admit that I expected too much of Carlos too soon and that I was off the mark, that I wasn't on the money. I will say that. Just talking about me, not talking about anybody else. I will say, personally, Gil Gross was wrong. I overhyped Carlos a little bit. If he is not in a major final 
after the U.S. Open in 2023. That's when people can start telling me I told you so after Carlos, uh, when it comes to Carlos Alcaraz. Until then, I don't want to hear it because nobody's, nobody's saying he's ready to dominate right now. All right. Match. Again, um, Alcaraz wins the first set in a tie break, loses the next two sets, 6-1, 6-1. I want to go in chronological order. I want to cover the first set first. First set. Uh, I was really surprised at how poorly both men returned serve. thought it was bizarre, really. Here we're talking about two return-centric players playing a match on clay, and they're just not making returns. They're just not—the returns were not at a high enough quality for them to break serve. There were no break points in the entire set, and they go to a tie break. It was absolutely bizarre. Alcaraz played really well in the tiebreak, though. Really well. Um, I loved what Carlos did at 5-4 on serve. He served and volleyed for the first time all set. Sinner was pretty far back. And um, he made Sinner press on the backhand return off of the kick serve wide on the ad side. And Sinner hit the net tape because he knew he had to dip it really low to try to make it a difficult volley. And he drew that return miss. I loved that from Carlos. Uh, that Those are the kinds of uh, change-ups and the kinds of curveballs that Alcaraz— uh, I'm using two different pitches in baseball analogies. What, what are you doing here? Uh, those are the kinds of— that's the kind of variety that Alcaraz can showcase in the in the most pressure-filled moments that uh, can sometimes make him so unplayable under pressure. So I really liked that. And then at um, Carlos did make a mistake on his backhand to give the mini break away on the first set point. Then at 6-5, I do want to go to the tape here because this was an interesting point. Um, Sinner... Hits a perfect flat serve out wide. He bombed it. He hit his spot. It was a great serve. But uh, Carlos makes a great stab return on the backhand. Nice stretch return. Uh, Sinner still has a midcourt forehand, however. And Sinner crushes it. He crushes it and he hits it really deep. So it's a perfect serve plus one. Inside in here. And he's going to approach the net. Which he should. He should approach the net. So Sinner has done everything right in this point. He hit a great serve. He hit a great forehand. And now he's coming in. And here's where the mistakes begin. So I'm going to freeze it as Alcaraz kind of makes contact with the ball. And as you can see, because Sinner hit it so hard, uh, he is going to have trouble closing the net here. He's still behind the service line. And he split steps. And that's probably the first mistake that Sinner makes here. Now, there might be some purists, some coaches that uh, might might argue with me here. They might say, look, you always split step. It doesn't matter. You always split step. And I just don't, I don't agree with that. And I, I watch a lot of the best volleyers and what they do. And, you know, when you have, when you have your opponent in a completely desperate situation and they have a slice grip and you are not, you haven't closed in on the net, like you're kind of in no man's land, I see a lot of players run through that stop sign and and just continue to, continue to charge the net 
to try to close that distance. And the passing shot is not going to have enough on it to really make it difficult to adjust laterally where, you know, the split step becomes somewhat unnecessary. And all it does here to center is it makes it harder for him to close the distance. But even, even after the split step, there's some indecision here. There's some movement in the front court that's lacking from Yannick because what he needs to do is he needs to move diagonally and use his explosive movement to attack this really soft cross court. I'll call it a pass, but it's barely a pass. It's a desperation shot, right? And instead, Sinner takes a couple of steps forward, but then he he retreats. You can see his his right foot's behind his left foot here. He's uh he's moving backwards because he just doesn't he doesn't close quick enough. Um the best volleyers in the world, and of course, video video always does it more justice than screenshots if you're watching on YouTube. But the best volleyers in the world here, uh, this ball would not have bounced, and it would have been an easy put away. You can see where where Alcaraz is. He's just he's way off the court. He's completely out of the picture. Any volley would have done would have been fine. Uh, but because Sinner gets caught in between here, and because he has to hit a half volley, anytime the ball bounces, it becomes a more difficult volley, especially on clay where the bounce isn't quite as true. And Sinner just gets caught in an awkward spot here, and he blows this volley in the net. So, um, look, there's a couple of aspects to this point. Again, it's not, it's not one thing or the other. Uh, Alcaraz was incredible to make Sinner play an extra ball here. I don't think there are a lot of opponents, maybe maybe zero opponents, who would have had the quickness to make Sinner play after the forehand that he hit, the midcourt forehand that he hit. Very few players would have had the quickness to actually cover that ball. And the return was exceptional by Alcaraz as well. So, you know, Carlos, from a scrambling standpoint, was phenomenal. Um, but also, if... Uh, it was the kind of front court mistake that Sinner is still making often that is going to cost him when the margins are slim in some in some of these matches. And that was my only critique when these two played at Wimbledon of Sinner. I, I said after the match, best I've ever seen Yannick Sinner play, nearly flawless in every area, still wasn't good in the front court. You know, he he's still not good here. And if anyone tries to tell you otherwise... Um, I, I just, I don't think they're really holding him to a high enough standard because, uh, there's still a ton, there's a ton of, uh, room for improvement to be had for center in the front court. And it is ultimately the difference in this first set because it comes down to a couple points and center makes this mistake, um, with his, with his movement at net. So now let's move on to, uh, the second set where the match begins to turn, but not right away because uh, Alcaraz holds serve to start the second set, and he has love 40 in the second game of the second set. So it looks like Alcaraz is about to go up a set and a break here. And it's the, the weirdest thing about this match is Alcaraz played this incredible point, unbelievable, at uh, love 30. Another... Probably the best point of the match where Alcaraz uh, retrieves two balls that no one really could have gotten back. 
uh, probably nobody in the world. And then Sinner just missed times and overhead doesn't hit it well enough. And Alcaraz off of Sinner's overhead hits uh, a crushing forehand pass. And then uh, Alcaraz holds up a one. And I saw someone on Twitter say that uh, this is Carlos showing how many games he would win for the rest of the match. It was really, really bizarre that you could circle this point which was so spectacular, and again, probably the point of the match, that's where it all went wrong for Carlos after this point. Again, incredible point. So, bizarre, really bizarre. Now we look at um, at the, the turning point, and it becomes just missed break points um, for Carlos, and most of them come down to the return. When Sinner and Alcaraz played at Wimbledon, Alcaraz went 0 for 7 on breakpoint opportunities. So with that in mind, and I think Carlos probably had that in his head here because things got really, really ugly on the next couple, uh, on the subsequent breakpoints early in the second set. At Love 40, Alcaraz missed a backhand return. He read it. He read the, the serve, knew where it was coming. He was right there, and he buried it in the net, backhand side. 15-40, second serve, backhand return, buried it into the net again. Hmm, two in a row, backhand returns, both in the net. Hmm, okay. 30-40, uh, center was too good, serve plus drive volley winner. Another break point on add out. Um, again, too good from center, serve plus one, forehand winner. Another break point at this love one game. Second serve, Sinner went into the body. Alcaraz moved to his left as soon as Sinner tossed it, looking for the forehand. Oh, this is great. This is what you want. Uh, Carlos made the correct move, and Sinner served body right into Alcaraz's forehand. And Carlos, it, it looked like he tried to hit a clean winner off the return, mishit it badly. Oh, he missed another return. Wow. Another second serve return. That's two in this game. Another break point. This is number one, two, three, four, five. Sixth break point of the game. Second serve. Center. Serve to the backhand. Into the net. Oh, come on. How many times? Three second served. Three second serve return misses. Um, four return misses in total. Three of them are backhands into the net. So, uh, just not only is it frustrating to lose all those break opportunities, but to lose them in the same way over and over and over again, that's got to be frustrating. Center break serve in the next game. First break in the match. 2-1. More break points for Alcaraz. Second serve. Sinner goes to the forehand this time. Interesting changeup. Good second serve. Alcaraz mishits it. Forehand inside in wide. Again, trying to crush it. Going for a lot. Whoa, where's the adjustment here? What's happening? You missed another? Going for a ton? It's not like he's trying to 
it's not like he's hitting, you know, and I, I don't want to say safe because he shouldn't hit safe, but he's, he's literally taking the ball early and trying to, he's trying to, he's trying to murder it. He's trying to murder it. I don't know how else to put it. And he misses another forehand. Now it's add out. Um, finally, Alcaraz makes, uh, so this is another break point. This is the eighth. And um, Sinner actually hits the line on a second serve, almost double faulted. And this time, Alcaraz finally makes a solid return, gets into a rally. Uh, Sinner hits a forehand off the baseline again to draw the error. So Sinner hit two lines in that point. And who knows, game of inches, what would have happened if Sinner would have missed one of those? I don't know. But he saves it again. He holds for 3-1. And at this point, Alcaraz is um, 0 for 16. Actually, come to think of it, 0 for... That's 0 for 15, according to my stats. Someone tweeted 0 for 16. Um, oh, no, it ended up being 0 for 16, though. So let me just say third set. Let me skip ahead real quick. Third set, another break point for Alcaraz at one all. What do you think happens? Backhand return, just long. Very returnable. This was a first serve, but very returnable. Another backhand return miss. At least, thank goodness if you're Alcaraz, at least you found a new way to miss and it went long instead of in the net. So, what happened in this match? What caused the turnaround here? I think it's pretty simple. Alcaraz lost his mind. He lost his head. It was the worst mental match I've ever seen from Carlos. And Alcaraz is great mentally. But there's not a player in the world who wouldn't go absolutely crazy knowing that they are 0 of 15 starting, you know, beginning of the second set, come the third set, you become 0-16 on break points against an opponent in your last two matches. I don't think there's anyone who has the mental strength to not go absolutely nuts, to not lose your head, lose all your confidence, get incredibly frustrated, to boil inside. Uh, that is more than probably anyone can withstand. Now, I, I don't I, I don't know, like maybe someone has been able to lose 16 break points against someone and just be completely fine and play play well, keep playing well, keep your head to the grindstone, focus on the task at hand, not lose focus, not start to make poor decisions, not start to get nervous every time you get a break point. Maybe, maybe that's happened before, but man, you're going to lose your mind if you lose that many break points. And... I think uh, for a 19-year-old in Alcaraz, I mean, this is a good time right now to uh, work with the coaches, work with the psychologists of what, first of all, you know, how you respond to losing so many opportunities. Uh, what are the technical adjustments that should have been made here? In my opinion, freaking move back on the second serve return. I mean, Alcaraz is a guy with the weight of shot and the athleticism to uh, use the deep return position. Give yourself some time and hit high and heavy. That doesn't mean you, you, you're you passive, but change the return. I mean, if you're not getting the return back, do something different here. Very, very obvious stuff. And uh, just didn't do it. Never did it. 
Um, I want to see Alcaraz use the deep return position on the second serve more often in general. And um, especially in a scenario like this. And then mentally, what are you going to tell yourself? Because clearly the frustration of what was happening in these return games bled over to the service games. But a part of me thinks, you know, a part of me is going to say, well, that's bad by Alcaraz. Another part of me, man, again, who the heck can lose 16 break points, two matches combined and be fine and, and not let that completely destroy their game? So that's what happened here. It was funky, but that's what happened. Now, um, there's a little bit more to it, uh, tactically, um, Sinner, I mentioned that both returned poorly in the uh, in the first set. Well, Sinner, Sinner did lock in on the return, especially off of Alcaraz's kick serve. Carlos's nasty kick serve on the clay to Sinner's backhand. I was so impressed with how Sinner started taking that early and uh, started to bully it. He, he finally got the footwork and the timing down. He started to read the way that that kick serve was coming off the court well enough to be able to take it on the rise and time it properly and to get uh, clean hits in. And he started to to take control with that return of serve. And I thought, if there's a pattern that has persisted in both matches, besides for Alcaraz not being clutch, on break points with return um, or on, on his return games. Uh, if there's a pattern that has definitely been prevailing through both matches, it's that Alcaraz's serve hasn't held up very well against the aggressive returning of Yannick Sinner, which I do believe is right now probably the premier strength of his game. That and just the consistent weight of shot that he brings paired with consistency from the back of the court, right? Uh, the return, I, I continue to be impressed with the return. It's really good. So he finds he finds the timing on that backhand return off of Alcaraz's kick serve. That, that's a major difference between the first set and then the second and the third. And it, it continues that trend of Sinner being really aggressive, uh, attacking Alcaraz's serve, which is still lacking in some precision with hitting the spots. Overall, um, also with, especially with Alcaraz in a frustrated state of mind, Sinner, uh, the far steadier player, especially on the backhand, and I do want to talk about their backhands here. The quality of the backhand is the area where I've gone back and forth on Alcaraz Sinner. I've gone back and forth on this. When I first compared them in a video last fall, I said, I think... I think that's pretty much the only area where I could see Sinner having a long-term advantage over Alcaraz. Just backhand to backhand. I think Sinner's backhand, which is one of the best in the world, certainly right up there, best in the world. Um, that is better than Carlos's. And that's one area that I think he's technically better. Um, but I thought, you know, mental, physical, any, any technical aspect. That was like the only thing I could find. And then as we kind of went through the Sunshine Double, where I thought Alcaraz had some great performances on his backhand on the hard courts, I started to question that. I started to think like, oh, did I did I sell Alcaraz short on the backhand side? Is his backhand even worse than Yannick's? 
And if that's the case, like, what is he worse than than Yannick Sinner? Where is Sinner's edge over Alcaraz when it comes to attributes? Well, um, I think the clay court season in particular, we've seen some examples of... Um, We've seen some some prominent examples of the backhand not being solid enough for Carlos. And certainly in this match, backhand to backhand, all center. Center domination. And uh, it's, it's a better shot right now for Yannick. So I'm kind of back there. I'm back to feeling like Yannick has Carlos there. I, I just... The backhand for Alcaraz, for my liking, it lacks in some margin. It just doesn't have the margin that I think it needs. And as a result, I mean, let's face it, in this match, second and the third set, back, Alcaraz backhand, huge liability. Huge liability. Way too many errors. Usually, it's been the forehand that has been the issue with when it comes to Alcaraz volatility, Alcaraz consistency. But in this case, it was the backhand. Just missed way too many, especially the returns. He had no feel for the shot. And on clay, when he's trying to take it on the rise and hit it flat, early on the rise flat, it's just not a great clay backhand. So I'm interested to see, you know, does it look better again once they go back to the hard courts? And it's easier to, to play on the rise, and the court's going to reward flat hitting a little bit more. But um, on the clay, I just haven't liked the margin there. I've liked, you know, I just want to see more consistency on that side. In general, though, Sinner does really look like a steadier player out there. You know, Sinner always plays with exceptional weight of shot. So when you think of Sinner and uh, consistency, you know, it's very important to understand that it's consistency at a pace that far exceeds 99% of players on tour in terms of average ground stroke speed and the, the heaviness of those shots. But Sinner plays safe targets in trading. You know, he doesn't build an attack into safe targets, but he trades into safe targets. And when he, when he is at, in a neutral position or in a defensive position... He will hit big into safe targets. And I just find that Alcaraz, he plays much more into risky targets with more variety and proactive decision-making. And when you're playing into risky targets and you're mixing things up and, and you're proactive in a way where you're constantly trying to look for damage in different ways, you are prone to poor decision-making and you're putting a lot more pressure on your execution. So from the baseline right now, Sinner's approach looks a lot more repeatable. And maybe Alcaraz at his best, when everything is going right, it's probably too good even for Sinner. And that's probably true, even, even though we've seen how the last two matchups have gone. But what we've seen is Alcaraz under pressure right now when things haven't gone right, when the decision-making is scrambled, when he is feeling stress and pressure and frustration, Sinner's approach a lot more repeatable than Alcaraz's. And that's been a key.
uh, really impressed with the break of serve last thing on the match um, before I get to some more general stuff um, to end. Uh, really impressed with the one of two break of serve by center in the third set. want to just give full props. Amazing, amazing uh, redrop by Yannick here. Uh, he hit a second serve return cross court angled to Alcaraz's backhand. And this is an example of a terrible decision by Alcaraz where he, he went for a, a first ball backhand drop shot where he had zero advantage in the court. Sinner was inside the baseline. Alcaraz was stretched out on the run. Carlos missed it in the net. If he made it, Yannick was there, would have probably put it away for an easy winner. Uh, just a boneheaded decision. Even if Alcaraz executed, he lost the point with the decision. Just a terrible decision. So, again, that was after losing break points at one all. Carlos lost his head in this match. I want to reiterate that. He lost his head. Then, um, on break point, Alcaraz finally changed it up. Hit a second serve to the center forehand. He had been going to the backhand, and I mentioned how center started really timing the backhand return off of the kick serve. He actually went to the forehand, and center destroyed it right at Alcaraz's feet. Alcaraz had to go around the back out of necessity because the ball was just on him right away. No time to react. So just an awesome break of serve. And uh, in the third set, Sinner was absolutely peak, peak, peak Yannick Sinner. So uh, there wasn't much Alcaraz uh, could do at that point. Crowd loved Yannick. Uh, I don't want to close the book on this match before uh, without mentioning that. This is the second match of the season for Yannick Sinner where I I first I haven't been quite I've been a little bit surprised at the crowd just fully getting behind him, just rallying behind Yannick Sinner. The first time was in Miami against Pablo Carreño Busta and I I know I've said this before. It, I I I thought it was like Rome. And I'm like what's going on? Is this Italy or Miami? And this was another <laughs> this was another match like that. Uh, I didn't know why. Uh, maybe there's an Italian population in Umag, Croatia. I don't know. Uh, I, I just didn't understand. I, I don't know why, but the crowd was all over Sinner. So that might have helped him. Just want to mention that. It's the second time I've seen this. And it's funny because I did that mailbag video where uh, I asked you guys, uh, who are your least favorite players? And I, I got some, some surprising Sinner hate. And I, I didn't see that coming. And I'm like, whoa, um, we don't like Sinner. We think he's boring. We can't get behind him. Uh, interesting. I didn't know that. The crowds love him. The crowds seem to really love him. So uh, I was surprised by that. And that could not have helped Carlos. You know, he could have used, in such a frustrated frame of mind from losing all those opportunities, he could have used a pick-me-up from the crowd. Didn't get that. Didn't get that at all. Lastly, um, it's going to be interesting to see how Sinner continues this momentum into the North American hardcourt swing. Um, Darren Cahill will join his coaching staff. That is huge. And before I wrap up here, I just want to uh, reiterate a point. Ravi Uba said this on the World Feed, commentator Ravi Uba. Um, Darren Cahill said that... Um, it helps to go from clay courts to hard courts, that that's actually a transition that can be actually useful. Whereas um, hard courts to clay courts is a little bit more difficult from a uh, fitness standpoint and getting used to 
uh, being patient and working the point and having the uh, the fitness to play the lengthier rallies. Cahill said that the clay actually kind of gets you in physical condition after the grass and uh, is is kind of a good almost uh, a good training block from grass to bridge over to the hard court. So I found that to be a fascinating point. Just wanted to re to kind of relay the message because so oftentimes the post Wimbledon clay can seem pointless can seem a little bit tiresome. And here's Darren Cahill with kind of a explanation as to why players like Sinner and Alcaraz might choose to play clay after Wimbledon and why it might actually be helpful instead of counterproductive for players to play that time of year. So again, just want to throw that out there. Big win for Sinner. I hope to see uh, this matchup soon again. Continues to be very interesting. Great to be back talking tennis. Appreciate all the messages that have um, that have expressed uh, missing Monday match analysis in my couple weeks off. And thank you for uh, all the support as always. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next time.